Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Good evening and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You're with Talk. We're on TV, we're on radio, we're online. And we're on your smart speaker. Coming up, junior doctors choose the busiest week of the year to hold their longest strike to date. And the disruption is enormous. Storm Hank creates commuter hell across the country. We'll look at the disruption on the horizon where you are. And Nicola Sturgeon breaks down on air. Crocodile tears from a reptilian politician. Well, it is a brand new year, and so it seems only right to extend the hand of friendship to all of you who have been citizens of the Republic since the beginning, to those of you who have only just discovered it in our new evening slot, and to many of you who are joining us for the very first time. After being away for nearly two weeks, I can tell you I've returned to the studio with a newfound vigour, with an even more keen determination to find out the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and with a bigger mandate than ever to sort out the state that this country is in. Because, as you know, we've got an election looming. And for many of us, it will be a defining election, a moment in history, a seminal event that could change the way that Britain operates for the next decade. Do we want more indecision about our futures? Do we want more amnesty for illegal immigrants? Do we want more public money spent on making life easy for those who do not wish to work for it? Can we afford to be held to ransom any longer by our public services, the ones that we pay so much for, but who are failing us at every turn? Tonight, we start 2024 as we mean to go on asking all the right questions. Number one, are we really going to continue to buy this ludicrous propaganda coming from the hospital picket lines that doctors can't make a decent living in this country? Do we really have to put up with these overeducated, entitled 20-somethings telling us how much worse off they are now when, than when mummy and daddy were buying all their school clothes for them? Just why are the striking junior doctors so unwilling to blame the NHS for wasting so much public money when they make their demands? And why? Do so many of their arguments revolve around how much they're worth and what important work they do? I spent days arguing with some of these activists online about why they believe they are worth more to society than anyone else. Well, so what? Quite frankly, if they're really going to make that argument, surely they should all be making footballers' wages. They're not, and they never will be. Tonight, we'll be tearing down some of these shibboleths that little medical Marxists have invented to help their case, and we will once again expose their rather thin veneer of hiding behind what they call their perceived lack of keeping up with inflation. Already on day one, the strike is causing massive problems in hospitals, cancellations of procedures, and inevitably worse health outcomes, and even death for many. No one should be supporting this action, not anyone with a caring bone in their bodies. That's not all, though. We'll be doing other things, too. We've got a tale of two Scottish sob stories from two of its most powerful women. We've got tomorrow's news today, 
And we'll be keeping an eye on the wonderkind, Luke Littler, the teenage dart sensation fighting in the final of the World Championship. If he wins, he's got half a million quid coming, at least one kebab and a world of riches. We wish him luck. This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Let's get it on. Now, don't forget, you can have your say right here. We want to know particularly if you've been affected by NHS, NHS strikes today. Lots of people have been in touch with us already. But you can get in touch with the show on all the socials, at Talk TV on the phones, 0344 499 1000. Calls will cost you the national rate. But let's get right into it, because as we all know, the NHS and the UK healthcare situation is in crisis mode, whether it's waiting for A&E, whether it's an ambulance or a bed in a hospital, millions of patients are being left untreated. Today, these matters have been made even worse as junior doctors begin the longest strike in NHS history. They're calling for a 35% pay increase. Speaking to Talk TV, here's a junior doctor from Norway, Benedict. She says many of her colleagues are leaving the UK for work. The fact of the matter is that in Norway, doctors get paid at sort of equal levels, roughly the same for about half the hours of work. Um, and my life would be dramatically different if I moved to Norway. And it's something that I'm definitely considering more and more often at the moment. It really is. Um, I don't want to, particularly. Um, I came here for a reason. But, you know, at some point, you know, I'm in my 30s now. At what point do I decide that, you know, I, I can't do all those hours anymore um, for half the pay? Try to not view this as a dispute that's simply about sort of doctors wanting more money. That's not really the crux of the issue here. The crux of the issue here is that our colleagues are leaving and that we might be leaving. And you can't plug the gaps of the thousands of doctors that are missing at the moment with people that don't have the equivalent training. We're useful, skilled professionals and a measure of how good the NHS is and how good and safe the service is for patients isn't how many more hospitals you build or how many wards you refurbish. It's how many skilled professionals you treat well so that they stay in their jobs. That goes for nurses, it goes for doctors, it goes for physios, it goes for everybody. I've worked in lots of hospitals that are on the brink of falling down, but they still feel like amazing places to work and they still feel like the patients are safe and that's all down to the people that work there. It's not down to anything else. You've got to look after your staff. Yes, you've got to look after your staff. Interestingly enough, actually, um, statistically speaking, there are more doctors working in British hospitals now than ever. So, I don't know where they get their facts from. To discuss it, though, uh, I'm joined by former chair of NHS Foundation Trust, Martin Gower, and NHS doctor Dean Eggett. Um, good afternoon, good evening, I should say, to both of you. Um, Martin, let me start with you. I'm told that when uh, the survey of hospital doctors was first done in 2005, uh, there was something like 40,000... Um, doctors in hospitals, senior doctors in the UK. Now that number is up at 78,700. So when they say they haven't got enough doctors, that's not really true. When they say they don't make enough money, that's not really true either. Yes, I think, Mike, there certainly has been a big increase in the number of doctors. Um, I'm, I've done recent research on that. It's very clear there are many more doctors. Of course, there are new procedures. There are new techniques coming on board and more people are being treated than ever before. And of course, we have a bigger population than we had in 2005 when those numbers were done. However, um, oh, sorry, the second thing, I'm gonna be slightly fairer on this point, is I don't think the junior doctors are grossly overpaid right now if one compares them to other health systems. But the reason for that is, of course, is the fact 
that they work for the NHS. Um, and the NHS has national agreements with the doctors, which doesn't happen in any other healthcare system in the world, apart from possibly Cuba or maybe North Korea. Um, actually, it's the local employers or the regional employers all around the world who agree and negotiate pay with all of their staff. So this rather overstructured pay structure that we have um, in, in this country is a deterrent, I think, to uh, doctors perhaps earning more. And yeah. I think many of them, not all of them, but many of them do perhaps deserve to earn more. Yeah. But the problem is the NHS. Um, if you read the staff satisfaction survey for the NHS in any year in the past 10 years or so, you will find it is pretty awful. Um, it's not a place that many, too many people are very happy to be working in. There are exceptions. It's patchy. Different hospital trusts have different relationships and cultures. But it's not the greatest situation for them to have. That being all said, Mike, they should all be absolutely, totally ashamed of standing on picket lines. You know, these are doctors. These are people who historically have behaved with dignity, even against diversity. And I'm... I just feel that at this time, this is one of the most callous and cruel things that the BMA could have encouraged many of these young people to do. Dr. Dean, let me ask you the question, because a lot of these doctors say, you know, it's terrible, the, uh, you know, the hours are awful. They never tell us how much they actually earn. They only tell us how much they get paid per hour. Um, they never mention the waste that the NHS is involved in. They never mention how the NHS could spend its money better. They always just say they want more money. But then they say, it's not about the money. What do you make of it? It's a really complex discussion, but it is partly about the money and partly about just the culture of the NHS altogether. So my position on this is that junior doctors are woefully underpaid at the early levels. The work is extraordinarily hard, really long hours, and the moral injury associated with being a junior doctor will follow you for the rest of your life. It is an extraordinarily difficult job for essentially the sort of pay that you would get in many other areas. So the question that springs to mind is, well, why be a junior doctor when you can do other things? The obvious answer to that is because you don't stay a junior or training doctor forever. You grow into a consultant or a general practitioner where you do earn a reasonable sum of money and you have a reasonable control over your life. The challenge beyond this, though, is not just about the pay. It really is about the culture of working in the NHS because it's a terrible place to work. It never used to be, but it has become a terrible place where patients are um, being treated far less uh, well than they used to do in the past. And I think that's what our junior training doctors are seeing currently. They're saying, well, we need doctors to stay. We need them to work harder. We need them to do better for patients. And quite frankly, we can't at the moment on the money that's spent in the system. And junior doctors don't have say over where that money goes. They only have say of what goes into their back pocket through negotiations. So they can't account for the rest of the waste. Well, they can't account for the rest of the waste, but they can mention the fact that there is waste in other areas, which they never do. And when they say it's a terrible job that they have to do, they knew that it was a terrible job when they took it on. Some of these kids on the, uh, on the picket line saying, you know, since 2008, uh, we've lost 25% of our real income. Well, in 2008, most of them were still at school. You know, so why are they going into a, a job which they knew was not that well paid in the hopes that they could go on strike and make it better paid? You know, that's a reasonable point, Mike. But when you go into medical school, you're usually 18 years of age and you're 
bright, full of energy and you think you can change the world. Five or six years later, you've matured and understood a little bit more about it and you realise that it's not what you were sold. So on the one hand, we've got these doctors who go in keen to make the best of a situation. And on the other hand, we've got the stark reality of the world where you can't continue to throw money at the problem. So I think there is a difference between aspiration and reality that some of these junior training doctors are starting to learn and understand. Um, and they do mention the waste, to be fair. I think they talk about the waste all the time. And that's part of the terms and conditions that they're talking about at the moment. It's just that pay has reached the headlines because, you know, that's the interesting stuff to talk about. But the NHS is ridiculously wasteful. There are loads of ways to find some of this money that will increase the rate of pay for junior training doctors. Yeah, I think that's right. Martin, let me finish up with you. I mean, clearly a lot of these people are very entitled. You know, maybe that's why they don't get paid too much when they're 18, because they're not worth much. They don't really know anything and they learn as they go. And at the end of the day, surely either you have a vocation to be a medical practitioner or you don't. And if you don't like the money, go and do something else. Yes, I think that's true. I mean, when my brother uh, was training to be a doctor, my mother used to uh, say, of course, my son's a doctor and then point at me and say, not him. Um, <laughs> I was going in commerce, you know, which was really not good at all. Um, not, I was not going to be a doctor. Uh, or even possibly later, a professor, even greater. However, I mean, there is a simple solution. I agree with much of what my uh, my colleague on, on, on this panel has said. In fact, it, the best way to, to deal with this, actually, if I was still a chairman of NHS Trust, i tell you what I would want to do to sort it. I'd say, look, let's sort it locally. Let's talk to our staff. Let's sort out the issues. Uh, doctor, junior doctors are on rotation very often in their early year. They're not made to feel part of the organisation they work in. They don't feel as valued as they should do. And I absolutely accept that. However, if it, these were, issues were sorted locally, I would have said to my trust, look, I tell you what, let's go a long way to helping our junior doctors. Let's, uh, let's pay them some more. But, and here's the but, we need to save money from other places in order to do that. We talk about waste, yes, there's lots of waste. Do we need all these diversity czars and all the rest in, in, in our trusts? No, we don't. That's another cultural issue. Um, if you are welcoming to people irrespective of what their skin colour or sexual orientation is, that's part of your culture. It doesn't need somebody to be going around the trust preaching at people. So actually, I think there is a way. The BMA would fight this tooth and nail. They love the percentage-based negotiation nationally. It gives them their power. Um, and I think it's time through many, many routes where that power should be actually diminished and we should be given more, more freedom uh, at local levels to sort out these sorts of issues. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Martin, thanks very much indeed. Dr Dean Eggett, thank you as well. I'd like to bring in my panel tonight. I'm joined by journalist Eve Tolfick, broadcaster and barrister Andrew Eborn, uh, and journalist and author Laura Donsworth. Laura, let me start with you. I mean, I think the BMA are the villains of the piece here, aren't they? Because we know, for example, there's loads of doctors who are not in the BMA. I know doctors who have left the BMA. They don't like their politicisation of the whole business. And everybody knows that the BMA does not represent, in any way, shape or form, the majority of doctors in the country. I think that's probably true, but unfortunately there are doctors representing um, their profession and speaking for other doctors there on the picket line. I mean, this is going to sound like a slightly frivolous point, but it looks like they've learnt from Just Stop Oil. Yeah. And it's a terrible look. It is. Why are they out there? You know, these are serious professionals 
who are in a very important caring profession. And they're all there in orange woolly hats, like just a poil kids, whinging. It's a really, really bad look. Mm. That said, junior doctors don't get paid enough. Now, I will very rarely disagree with anything you say, and never the style... You can if you want. No, no, and never the style you deliver it in your monologue. And I don't disagree with you that they shouldn't be striking. I think it's profoundly unethical. It is. But they don't get paid enough. Well, that depends on who you're talking to, though. But but the problem is they have a very generous. They pension. don't think they're paid enough, right? Oh. But they but they don't actually present what I would regard as, as the facts of the case. Mm. I mean, let me talk to you even about this because they say, for example, we get paid fifteen pounds an hour. Well, I don't know what that means. I don't know how many hours they work. I don't know whether they could work less hours, fewer hours, and whether they they put in the London waiting that they get or the extra money they get for working weekends, antisocial hours. They're being dishonest about it. Um, I don't necessarily think it's dishonesty. And are, are these really the same people that our country hailed as heroes not, well, I didn't not hail so them as many heroes. years ago? I didn't. And uh, surveys by the BMA have said that 50% of doctors are struggling to pay their utility bills. And this is meant to be professionals, mm. the epitome of society. And what does that say for the rest of us? What does that say for the people who aren't professionals and yeah, about but the you working have to, conditions you, you have within to this country? That, that that's true. I'm not sure that some of the stuff that the BMA comes out with is even true. I believe it is true. Well, Julie Hartley Brewer had, a, had, a, had a, a doctor on her show who said he couldn't afford to eat lunch. And then he had to kind of go back on it and admit actually he was wrong because he and his wife together made over £100,000 a year. And I think there's an awful lot of, as Laura says, sort of just or boil propaganda going on here, you know? I, I think there is an element of that, and I will agree, you know, it's not a good look. But beyond the look, I think, is, as the doctor was saying, there is a culture within the NHS, and I think that trickles down to the patients. I mean, this strike is going to cost the NHS to... Two billion. It's going to cost some people well, their lives. So that would be better spent on paying the junior doctors yeah. more. It, I mean, if only Andrew, some care this... would trickle down to patients. We've got 7.75 million on a waiting list. And you know, the big thing we're not talking about in all of this massive deflection here, talking about what they're paid, there were 53,000 excess deaths yeah, yeah. last year in this country, which is the most in a single year, aside from the pandemic, yeah. since the Second World War. The whole NHS and the is broken. Still alone. For, for, I mean, you're a lawyer, I, aren't you? I, I am a lawyer, absolutely. I'll tell you what's interesting and what I love about your programme is you always shine more light and less heat. Mm. And I think what we need to do is look at the facts. It's not just about money. I always yeah. talk about a fee is a fair exchange of energy. Right. And what you basically do, people don't go into the profession to make money. They, it's a vocational call. But let's put this into perspective. Bob Cratchit, it's Christmas time. Yeah. He was paid 15 shillings a week by Ebenezer Scrooge. Mm. What they've worked out by inflation and so on and so forth, it's about the same amount of money as a junior doctor is paid now is about £32,000 in real terms. What happens, however, there are these inefficiencies which you mentioned in the NHS. And what's going to happen, we're going to escalate the need for technology. And as you know, I speak around the world about embracing AI, artificial intelligence. And they did a brilliant survey very recently in the University of California, which said that chatting to chat GPT was better than chatting to your GP because it's got more empathy. Well, you can also get to talk to the thing. Exactly. You can't get to do at the moment. And that's going to make it better. Well, this is the problem. You know, the fact remains that there's an awful lot of stuff that they don't tell you. And that's what I'm really getting at, I suppose. You know, the the lot of of the poor mal... Uh, maltreated doctor uh, is much exaggerated. You know, all you have to do is go to any hospital car park and see where the doctors park and have a look at the cars. And they ain't doing bad. 
You well, know, they I, might be junior doctors yeah. who are not doing as well, but, you know, they it, will do better. It, it also might just be fair, though. It is also quality of life. And, and I think what we need to look at is, is those doctors who do round the clock. It's not about the money. I don't think for a lot of these people, they're just trying to... It uh, is about the living. money. They no, think it's about the money. It's of not... course it's about the money. And if you're talking about, if you're talking about quality of life, yes. you know, they're not striking for quality of life. They're not. They're striking about money. But let's talk about quality of life for the patients. So last year, my mum had a hip operation while she was enduring all these delays because of strikes, you know, she was in excruciating pain, unable to walk. There will be many thousands of people who, they're not, they're not just missing appointments, but they're in pain. Their quality of life is terrible. I don't think doctors should strike. I can't, I can't even imagine how, bar the, how high the bar should be for it. But right now, it's January. We have a waiting list of coming up to 8 million. And at the end of the day, it's profoundly immoral that they're all standing outside there in their orange hats, bleating about what they get paid. Well, there are people dying and in pain. And, and you make a really valid point. There should be a certain level of essential service. When you come into the profession, you do that because it's vocational. And I think that's absolutely right. But I think it is more than just money. It is about quality of life. It's the hours that you do and so on and so forth. And the two are interrelated. So you can't just isolate that. But I think it, it is abhorrent that we're getting these longer and longer waiting lists. Mm. What it will do is enhance the advancement, if you like, of technology. And I think every doctor's surgery should have access to all the information out there. It could speed up diagnosis and prevention is better than cure. So let's look at that sort of side as well. Yeah, I mean, I just think the whole thing is looked upon as, um, you know, a, your fate accompli. Yeah. That, you know, these guys are badly treated. You know, somehow it's the government's fault. I just think it's so much more complicated than that. I've got a note here from a guy called David who says, my missus has had stage three throat cancer in the fifth week of radiotherapy treatment, but she's responding well. Of course, there are side effects like difficulties in eating and they wanted to admit her for two weeks on an optional basis. She's feeling weak, so she packs her bag, came in today and they couldn't do it as the consultant who authorises it was also on strike. So consultants are on strike. See, that and I completely disagree with. A lot of junior doctors act up as consultants and so they can still go on strike as well. If you look through the rules of who can strike, yeah. consultants can go on strike. And it's got to be wrong. You walk past any hospital today, there's nothing going on. There's what, no ambulances what, going what, in. What do you think, Mike, if, just to pick you up on that point, what do you think would be the fair way for doctors to say, look, this is our plight, this is the problem, how, how can we get recognised? Everybody who strikes always says... Well, I think they should start by telling the truth. Okay. What right? do you think the truth what is? Do, yeah, the truth is, is the they're truth? getting paid a lot better than they're telling us. They should tell us precisely how much they take home and precisely how much their actual annual salary is. Not, we get paid £15 an hour. Well, that means well, well that's publicised. So 32,397 as a junior doctor, one after that. No, I'm that talking is... about the people that we speak to. Right. When they're asked on the picket line, how much are you making? Yeah. And they say £15 an hour. Doesn't mean anything. But when you take into consideration the raising of rent, the raising of living yeah, costs... Yeah, but they get, they get waiting know, you... for living in London... They get extra money for working unsociable it's still hours. Still not enough. In, well, it in may this not be enough. But a lot of them say, you know, for example, you shouldn't get paid more than us because you're a worthless individual. Talk absolute rubbish every night on the radio <laughs> or on TV. That's fine. You might as well say, in that case, David Beckham shouldn't get what he gets. Yeah. They should give it all to doctors. I, I, as you that's say, not that, the real that's, world. That's a rubbish argument. It is. You say because you're turning around and it's saying multi-millionaire footballers yeah. doesn't and, make any sense. I'm sorry, they're not being forced to be doctors. If you don't want to be a bloody doctor, yes, how, don't be one. How else are they going to make their impact felt on society? Doctors are essential workers. They so are. How else are they, they going to demonstrate well, to the public? I don't think they're going to demonstrate to the public that they care about the patients no, by going on strike and not treating them. We will withdraw I'd our care. I'd get rid of all of them. And replace them with who? Replace the them with people. No replace them with, people, with robots. Replace them with people who <laughs> want to help patients. Replace them with people who don't see 
being a doctor as being a selfish yeah. enterprise. That's what I would say. I, I think the, mid, the middle ground is There is something that has that. <laughs> pensions. They get great they pensions. They get great pensions. They get, pensions, they get they amazing, going to private They get amazing after... time off. They get yeah. incredible benefits and perks for being part of the public sector because I, of the public sector workers I do. actually know a singular case, which may be representative of a few, of an ex-NHS consultant who's retired who's just had to sell his house because he can't afford to live on his NHS pension with the mortgage rate. Well, maybe he didn't well, maybe buy the, the house that he could afford. He, bought, he could afford the house people. at the time. Right. The ha- this well, why is personal, has he paid off the mortgage? This is a personal case study. But why story. hasn't he paid off the mortgage, though? Well, lots of, people can't, can't afford lots of people can't afford their family homes when they retire. Most people do expect to downsize. So you the, have to be extremely I comfortable. Th- I don't think the pension argument is not necessarily valid. Well, they get a lot better pension than I get. Let's put it that way. This is Supreme Independent Republican Mike Graham right here. Coming up after the break, Canada Goose thefts. Apparently, it's nothing to do with poultry. And Sadiq Khan's record on crime gets worse and worse. Who's surprised? All that and much more. Please stay right there. Welcome back. You're watching the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV now. You may have forked out to buy somebody one of these Canada Goose jackets for Christmas. They can go for over a grand. But it turns out you'd be putting a target on your back because thugs looking to make a quick buck have been caught trying to mug people for these coats. I'm now joined by former police superintendent from the Met, Leroy Logan, uh, and also former Metropolitan Police DCI Mike Neville, good uh, uh, evening to both of you. Um, this is something that I came across kind of by accident, actually, uh, because one of my kids suddenly acquired one of these um, uh, goose jackets, and uh, I had no idea they were in such demand, and they're so kind of trendy that they get exchanged on eBay, on eBay all the time. But now suddenly people are looking at these designer uh, outfits, Leroy, and seeing an opportunity to either nick them and sell them, or nick them and look like the the, the cool guy downtown. Well, yeah, it's quite clear that people are so brazen now that they'll steal the jacket off your back. It's nothing that um, people um, sort of uh, have any uh, reservations about. And and it's a phenomenon all over the world. I'm not giving any excuses for what's happening over here, but um, you're seeing this sort of uh, activity. And it's a lot of copycat stuff. You're Mm. seeing seeing it on social media and... um, if, if it's um, carried out successfully in one part of the country, you see copycats elsewhere. And, uh, of course, we now see generally um, certain people pick on vulnerable people. So if they see you in a, a flashy jacket and you don't look that you can protect yourself and they'll take advantage of your situation, then they will um, pick on you. And they'll normally come mob-handed. So it's all very organised. And, and I wouldn't be surprised that these sort of um, activities feed into more organised cross-border activity, as we're seeing even with shoplifters. Shoplifters, you would think, would be individuals. They're now organised and they're starting to have um, a national impact. And as I said, it's a phenomenon we're seeing in Western countries in Europe and America. Yeah, exactly right. And, Mike, is that right? I mean, is it the case now that these sort of gangs of kids are so brazen because they know that they're going to get away with it that they're just mugging each other, if you like, for whatever it is they've got? Well, there's no consequences anymore. You know, we've got a Conservative Party which has now said it won't have, uh, you know, sort of short sentences. 
So unless you're going to go to prison for 12 months, it, it isn't happening. Mm. Uh, these youngsters know that they, they can get away with things. There's no uh, stop and search uh, much from the police anymore. Uh, and it just gets worse and worse. So we see the yeah. organised shoplifting gangs. We see the organised mugging gangs. And now we see uh, murders are occurring. The knife crime is up incredibly. Uh, and it's just, it, it almost feels uh, lawless that uh, criminals can just get away with things and your average citizen just putting their head in their hands and saying, what's going to happen in this country? Yeah. Well, we saw that terrible incident over the, uh, New Year's Eve at Primrose Hill, Leroy, and, you know... What is going to be the, the future for kids in this country? Because I tell my kids now, if you're going to come up to London, don't get your phone out, you know, don't walk around looking as if you're not aware of what your surroundings are, you know, and now I'm going to have to probably tell them, uh, be careful what clothes you wear. It is a, a, a terrible trend of um, not only the killings and, you know, our heart goes out to Harry Pittman's family um, suffering this tragedy in the last day of the year and obviously still suffering it in the first few days of this year. Uh, and, and it's unfortunately something that spill over from crime hotspots and it can happen anywhere. You're, you're finding that, um, again, um, young people, certain young people have been hijacked by this disrespect culture and invariably they're already tooled up and for the slightest of reasons, or sometimes even no reason, they'll use a weapon um, because they might have been insulted or they, and it results to violence. So we, we've got a critical mass of young people who are bought into this narrative carrying knives. Because, you know, once you carry a knife, you're not only more likely to use it, but also be a, a victim of it. And we're, that's why these trends are increasing. But we really need to start getting to early intervention prevention you know, when you had citizens-focused cops, like when I was in Hackney, our Safer Neighbourhood teams, they focused on the young people to pick up the, the ones that are really showing the wrong signs. They really start to get into trouble. Maybe it's problem families, maybe it's dysfunctional neighbourhoods, you know, negative role models, all these sort of things. But they were able to get those early interventions, signpost them into youth activities, um, educational programme, work with the schools very closely and the family. Now, we don't have those assets, and these young, uh, youngsters who are vulnerable to the thug life narrative are getting groomed and, and walking around mob-handed again and thinking they're untouchable. And as we already said, the courts are not reflecting those sort of sentences because you'll hear about youngsters going before the courts, giving that slap on the wrist, and next minute, they're murder suspects. Yeah, well, that's the problem, isn't it, Mike? I mean, you've got Sadiq Khan going on about how great New Year's Eve was. He's barely said a word about the stabbing incident that happened, the murder that happened on Primrose Hill, a very nice part of London. Uh, we've got people uh, sending us messages saying, Paul says, absolutely uh, dangerous. Khan sits on his high horse and goes on uh, X saying how great New Year's Eve celebrations are with no mention in how to fight the pandemic that is knife crime in London. And it feels to me as though certainly central London, the west end of London, um, is now a kind of no-go area for families isn't it? It's shocking. And the elephant in the room, of course, is stop and search. All the time, the Metropolitan Police have been criticised racism. You get the Baroness Casey report, which quotes yeah. about the number of stop and search, black use. It never mentions about the crime rates, the murder rates. 
2% of London's population are young black men. Yeah. They commit something like 60% of knife murders. It can't carry on like this. Stopping and searching results in less murders and less deaths, particularly less deaths of young black men. And, and, and I'm afraid to say that Leroy and other people have campaigned for more, less stop and searching, and the consequences are on us now. That's the elephant in the room. I mean, no, that's true, no, Leroy, isn't it? You know, no, no, no. I, I mean, I have never advocated less stop and search. All I said is got to be intelligence-based stop and search, not fishing expeditions where there's proper reasonable grounds and leading to a higher hit rate to get the people that are um, committing these crimes and the ones that are grooming them into um, um, thug life, county lines, the whole nine yards. I have never... I know stop and search is a useful tool, but it's still a tool that needs to be sharpened up with community intelligence. The more closer you are to the young people who are in amongst this um, feuding situation or the ones on the margins, you can actually get more information. So you're a lot more proactive and you're targeting the people that are not only carrying the knives, but who's carrying it for them or where they dump them. I mean, I, I, I've been in Hackney um, for 40-odd years. I'm still in Hackney, even in retirement. I run a, uh, a, a charity that I helped set up in 2001, and we speak to young people on a regular basis. We have a leadership programme around reducing crime and violence. And those young people have told us over 20 years where these things are happening and how we can support them. And, of course, it has to be a joined-up approach. It's to recognise that a lot of these young people are traumatised and, and so they go off on a tangent because they really don't know how to assess things properly. And, as I said, they can resort to violence in a heartbeat. So it's a question of not just stop and search, intelligence-based at that, but recognising the trauma of these young people, working with early intervention and prevention programmes and understand the cofactors like the, the, the music and the videos... And, and the films that glorify thug life and really educate our young people to know that's a, that's a cul-de-sac towards prison. These are the sort of things you've got to do because education is key as well as Yeah, but if it's getting worse, Leroy, presumably, but, you know, if it's getting yeah, worse, absolutely. then what you're doing isn't working. No, 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 I, I, it's because I, I, of I austerity... Leroy, austerity let me land on this. Let Mike speak, hang on a minute. You speak for a long time, Leroy, and I've also been involved in youth work in the inner cities, and for the last 30 years of my life I've been involved in youth work in the inner cities. And you say a lot of fine words, and the, but the, the listeners and the viewers will see this, that all that those things, they're not working. There is more and more debt, more and more young people are dying, particularly young black men, and it's a question of this. Hands in pockets do not hurt. Knives in bellies do hurt a lot, and they kill people. And the whole campaign, criticising the police, the constant rhetoric that the police are racist because they arrest more black people than white people, has brought about the wickedness that we see today. No, that's and you can totally say all the fine words that you do, and it's, that is the no, facts of the No, case. no, no. You're, you're, you're buying into a fake narrative. And it's quite clear you're into whistleblowing politics like the right-wing politicians, and as a result of that, you are fear-mongering. This, this situation's but been building for decades. And, and let me land... Let me land. It's quite clear that the young people that we're talking about are... You know, it didn't happen overnight. You know, these things that should be picked up from school. You know, teachers uh, as well as parents should be recognising that their youngster is carrying a knife. 
and everything. So it's not just about enforcement. And please, Casey Review was not just um, picking um, institutional racism, sexism, misogyny out the air. She gave clear evidence. So it's not a question of you just dis disregarding this. This sense of denial is not going to help policing. It's not going to help uh, having it's safe not and me secure in denial, or, um, communities. It's not me in denial. It is not so the me bottom in line, denial guys, here. The bottom line for, for both of you, and I take both of your points on board, but in the end, Leroy, London is a more violent city than it was five years ago, than it was ten years ago. Uh, more people are getting stabbed, more kids are being killed. And I saw the statistics, as you did, I'm sure, the other day, of the 21 people who died, teenagers, in London, by far and away, apart from about two of them, they were black. So it's not like Mike Neville's being a racist. It's not like no, no, right wing I'm not, politicians. I'm not suggesting he's a racist. Please, uh, it's don't not, put it's words like, on my mouth. But hang on. I am but not. But anyway, not, but hang on. It's, yeah, I've let you both speak. I'm going to speak now. It's my show. For for for, for the best part of of the last year. A lot of the murders have been committed either by young black men, on young black men, and you might as well admit that, and that's a problem, isn't it? I'm not denying that, but there's a lot of other factors that leads to this form of self-loathing where they don't care if they live or die and, and, and they don't care if other people live and die, and that's why they use these knives. You know, I'm, I'm not giving excuses for um, bad policing. I'm, I'm actually hailing good policing. And one of the main things that's happened over the last... 14 years is um, reducing community cops that used to be a good bridge between the police and the community, including young people, and how that ties in with youth services being trashed as well. Because I know from when I used to be heading up Safer Neighbourhood teams, the second one in all of the country, in the borough of Hackney, I had youth workers, detached workers. They were problem solvers. They were um, reducing... Feuds. They were giving information about where the next feud's going to be, how it's going to act, where's the knives, where's the drugs, all these sort of things. It was a more proactive thing. All we've got at the moment is firefighting policing, and they're doing yeah. an amazing job, but it's a very challenging one. But some, we have got road cops who don't do what they should do. Yeah. So yeah, let's be right. okay. totally Listen, upfront we're gonna, we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to carry this on. austerity measure is a been a massive problem yeah. over the last 15 years. Yeah, it has, absolutely. But it's not the austerity that's causing the people being stabbed. We'll come back to all of this, Leroy and Mike Neville. Thank you very much indeed, uh, both of you, Thank Leroy you and Logan as well. Um, it's a big, big issue. This is a massive problem. I would start searching anyone wearing a Canada Goose jacket, quite frankly. Uh, this is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. It's the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Blowing us all away next, the chaos of Storm Hank and a hero who rescues a family from a flood. Stay right where you are. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Commuters are being warned to expect major travel disruption today as the cleanup gets underway in the wake of Storm Hank. One person died in Wiltshire and another is in hospital in Kent after trees crushed their cars during the strong winds, which hit 94 miles an hour in some areas of southern England, uh, in the Midlands, in East Anglia uh, and also in Wales. Meteorologist Joe Wheeler is here to tell us what we can expect going into tonight and into tomorrow. Joe, very good evening to you. Welcome. Hello there. Well, yes, of course, this was the last in a sequence of storms. We seem to have had so many. And indeed, we have, mostly because the jet stream has been very far south. And that's allowed all these low-pressure systems to come in from the Atlantic. And I think one of the key areas uh, about these storms is the fact that usually we can see an area of low pressure coming. But uh, what we've seen fairly recently is 
these low pressure systems developing within the jet stream. And so they get thrown out, they exit very close to our shores. And so whilst we know the storm is coming, we don't know the severity of it. And Hank or Hank was originally uh, named simply because it got very strong winds. And of course, we saw those wind strengths uh, topping 90 miles per hour over parts of the far south, 81 miles per hour uh, registered at Exeter. I mean, these were huge winds for anywhere. But of course, down in the south where it is very um, populated, uh, densely populated, it causes more of a problem than it does say across the highlands of Scotland. So this was the initial problem with that uh, with that storm. But then, of course, it brought this universal rain to the country, uh, massive amounts of rain. There are some parts now uh, of the country that have already seen almost all of their January quota of rainfall in the first three days. So there was massive amounts of flooding yesterday, something like 200 flood warnings and over 300 flood alerts. And of course, there we're just talking about the bodies of water that are likely to flood. The pictures you're showing now of the roads, and I know because I took a day trip yesterday, uh, really caught out by that one. The roads were horrendous. I had to navigate my daughter back from Northamptonshire because every road out was shut. Uh, I just can't remember any time in living memory that I've known roads like that. And of course, driving conditions were appalling too. So absolute devastation, a lot of trees down, a lot of debris down in the yeah. south. Um, it really was a bit of a nightmare. Now, we do have another storm up our sleeve. Uh, this one, again, is likely to affect the south. It's likely to call its way, coil its way literally through southernmost counties um, and then disappear off towards uh, the southeast and East Anglia. So further rainfall to come, and that's painful when the ground is already saturated. Uh, the rivers are pretty much full to brimming, and we've already got flood problems. Any further rain is going to be an issue. But, um, and if you say it's a good thing, it's a good thing. Uh, it looks like we're going to see high pressure setting in at the weekend and some slightly quieter conditions. Yes, because I was hearing it was going to get a lot colder at the weekend. That's always good, isn't it? It means it won't be raining quite so much. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you give with one hand, you take away with the other, really. Uh, wet, windy and mild is what we've had through much of December. Now the jet stream is suddenly hurtling its way northwards and we get this high pressure setting up, which, yes, will bring us some calm, settled conditions. So it's looking dry. It is looking cold. We're looking at daytime temperatures in low single figures. So the feel like it's possibly going to feel pretty mm. bitter, especially as the easterly wind sets in. Um, we will see overnight frosts. And, of course, because we have got so much moisture around, there's a good chance of seeing some fog that will become very persistent through the day. So wintry problems, yes, not ones that we've already seen this, this year or indeed the end of last year so much. Um, but we certainly, yeah, we haven't seen these for a while. So likely to cause problems in yeah. their own way, I think. Well, there was one bit of good news. There was a hero who managed to save a three-year-old uh, and a driver. We're just seeing it now. We were trapped in their car, which was already sinking uh, into some water. Um, and somehow they managed to get the window smashed and managed to get the three-year-old out and the driver as well. Um, tied the vehicle to a bridge and then somehow managed to get everybody out of the car. So um, there's always a place for heroes in these kind of storms. And, oh, absolutely. Uh, and I think there were very many out uh, yesterday because there were cars getting stuck. And, of course, stranded cars were causing roads to be shut as well. I think I'm right in saying that if you take your headrest out, that's the way to smash your window if your car's in water. It's one of those particular horrors of mine, so I've always... Yeah. Uh, got, got that in mind, that you can smash the window that way. Yeah, absolutely right, Joe. Thank you very much indeed. Joe Wheeler there, weather presenter, uh, with what's likely to happen over the next 24 hours. Um, the chances are, if you're driving your car and it looks like there's a lot of water ahead of you, you probably shouldn't drive into it.
because you don't know quite how deep it's going to be. Uh, the Independent Republican Mike Graham is here, though. We're in your ear and we're everywhere. Up next, your thoughts, your calls and the tears of a clown. Stick exactly where you are. Welcome back. You're watching the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Now it's time for taking the mic. Now there's a lot of sorrow in the air post Christmas, a lot of wish lists being filled out by people trying to be forgiven for some past indiscretions, or maybe even worse. But up in Scotland at the moment, there seems to be a particularly virulent strain of emotion running through the nation, and it's afflicting two of the nation's biggest and most well-known protagonists. Two women who you might be a bit frightened of. You might not want to take them on. In the red corner, there's former First Minister Nicola Sturgeon. If you remember, she used to wear red a lot. And in the blue corner, it's Baroness Michelle Moan, currently under investigation for the supply of PPE and a multi-million pound contract during COVID. Neither of these two are known for being shrinking violets exactly, but recent circumstances have forced some of them into some rather unusual places. Who can forget the Baroness and her mere culpa with the BBC the other week? She admitted lying about her involvement in the deal to supply PPE to her good friends in government, but then she said she hasn't done anything wrong because she was protecting her family. Since then, things have gone from the absurd to the ridiculous, and now she's selling off the family assets after she found all her bank accounts had been frozen. But more of that later. Let's have a listen to Nicola Sturgeon getting all emotional about her involvement in improving children's care in Scotland. She claimed she was emotionally invested in the policy, which inevitably failed. Have a listen to this. I had decided in advance that I would, as I delivered that commitment, I would look directly at them because they were looking to me as what they call me, the, the chief corporate parent in the country. Uh, and they, I think they wanted to, to see that I meant it and I was determined to look at them. But as I did so, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to get through the speech without crying. And it's the closest I've ever come on a public platform, particularly in a speech at a political party conference, to actually breaking down completely. I mean, I know times are tough north of the border, but are we really supposed to believe that these two titans of the Highlands have gone all soft and fuzzy? Somehow, I think 2024 ain't going to be a great year for the Sturgeons and the Moans. Watch this space. Now, lots of you have been getting in touch. You can have your say on all the socials, of course, at Talk TV and on the phones, 0344 499 Let's go straight to them now. John's in Derbyshire, wants to talk about the doctor's strikes. Hi, John. Good evening, Mike. Good evening. Um, I'm not very pleased with what's going on at the moment in this country. No. But with regards to the doctors, I think all, all of the ones that are on strike and picketing mm. at the moment, yeah. who I believe are not a total representative bunch of the BMA... No, I or agree. ..or the doctors themselves. Yeah. And I think those people, for breaching their professional codes, mm. should be sacked. Yes. I think that's absolutely right. They don't, they don't represent actual doctors in the hospitals either, do they? I don't know the ins and outs of it, Mike. I'm not... I must say I'm quite detached. The only, my only association is actually being in hospital. Mm. And what have you found when you've been in hospital? What have you found the treatment to be like? I've always found... 
I've always found the staff to be extremely helpful, supportive, caring yeah. and efficient. Right. Not like this lot, then? Well, no. I, I'm, I think I must have been fortunate in my 80 years. Yes. Well, I just I detect that there's a sort of a new breed of doctor, like Laura Dodsworth was saying. They they act more like just stop oil activists than they do like me medically trained people who are there to help you. It'll, they'll be easily retrained then for that job, won't they? <laughs> yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, let's hear now from John in Cornwall, who wants to have a word about doctor strikes. Hi, John. Hi, Mike. Yeah, what do you want to tell me? Well, uh, it's I was I'm in the seventies. And was born into poverty. Yeah. The health service, when it was set up, so wonderful because it was a safety net for people who didn't have anything and didn't have yeah. an alternative. And it, you know, it kind of makes me wonder: these doctors, who do they think they're hurting? Who do they think suffering? Who do they think is going to die? It's the people yeah. at the bottom, yeah. the very people they were supposed to support. You're absolutely right. What a great point. Very well made and a great end to that first hour. This is the Ballistic Independent Republic of Mike Graham coming at you. Don't go anywhere because we'll look at Labour's lurch to low tax and we'll find out what you should eat if you want to make it to the Darts World Final at 16. We'll see you at the top. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Good evening. You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk. We're on TV, we're on radio, we're online, and we're on your smart speaker. Tonight, Camden's Labour Council goes woker than woke, demanding companies they work with prove they're LGBT inclusive. Cold water is poured on Captain Tom Family's unauthorised spa as the council orders them to tear it down. And as Gary Lineker says, jump, the BBC asks, how high? With the broadcaster removing a tweet just because Gaza wanted them to. Now, we'll keep you updated on Luke Littler's journey to the final uh, of the World Darts Championship because it could inspire a new generation to watch the sport. Don't forget, you can get in touch with the show on all the socials at Talk TV and on the phones as well, 0344 499 1,000 calls will cost the national rate. But before we do anything else, uh, let's take a little stock. As we've been saying so far during the show, we've moved seamlessly into a brand new year, but some things are just refusing to change. I mean, we've got more doctors on picket lines, more train drivers striking, more storms drenching the nation, and yes, I'm afraid, more nonsense from Gary Lineker. Does the man have no shame? Last year ended with many of us wondering whether St Gary was actually trying to get fired from the BBC. It was almost as if he couldn't help himself. If he wasn't supporting Just Stop Oil on his social media account, he was relentlessly attacking the Tory government for being cruel and heartless. I mean, who can forget his championing of the refugee industry? The Match of the Day presenter, the most highly paid in the entire organisation, kept trying to get himself in hot water by skating on thinner and thinner ice with his tweets. But every time it seemed he had breached the BBC's guidelines, he just kept getting away with it. 
Even when he had a go at Cabinet Minister and Secretary of State for Defence Grant Shapps, the BBC Director General Tim Davey said it was all fine. Now, though, Gary has actually outdone himself. He's managed to get the BBC to take down one of its own tweets. Yesterday, after Wayne Rooney was fired as manager of Birmingham City for his woeful record of losing nine games out of 15, some wag at BBC Sport thought it might be fun to pose up a picture of the Rune as a member of the Peaky Blinders. The tweet read, By order of the Peaky Blinders, Wayne Rooney has been sacked by Manchester City. Rooney was pictured, of course, with the obligatory Peaky Blinders flat cap on. Not exactly groundbreaking comedy, but hardly offensive. I mean, nothing like suggesting Tory MP Jonathan Gullis is too stupid to be able to read, for example. But St Gary didn't like it. So he then ordered BBC Sport to delete the tweet. And they did. So now it would appear Gary can tweet anything he likes, but if his employer, the BBC, tweets something he doesn't like, then he gets them to cancel it. Whatever you do at the BBC, don't upset St Gary, because it won't work out well for you. Brilliant, isn't it? We can only hope that Gary's crusade to get fired continues apace and he could be gone by the end of the football season. Now, we've got a little bit of breaking news. Uh, whilst Luke Littler has stormed through the PDC World Darts Championship and captured the nation, he was unfortunate to fall at the final hurdle. Uh, it looks as though, unfortunately, he's lost. So he's out of the final. He doesn't win the 500,000 quid. But what a journey. What an absolute um, new hero we found. So we'll bring you more on that uh, as we come up to the panel a little bit later on. But just as you thought it couldn't get any more absurd, a Labour-run council in London has announced it will only do business with pro-LGBT businesses. The council will be wasting huge resources on background checks of companies it works with to make sure it prioritises trans issues. Joining me in the studio is historic, uh, historian Raf uh, Heidel-Manku. But first, let's speak to Reform UK London mayoral candidate, Mr Howard Cox. Howard, very good uh, evening to you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Mike. Good to see you. Your voice, mate, you're struggling away there. It's incredibly good for you to do this. Well, listen, I've had this now for a couple of weeks. It can't seem to get rid of it, so I figured I might as well come back to work. But listen, yeah. uh, what on earth is going on in Camden? What's happening to them? Well... I was asked by the Telegraph to make a comment on it because of my position as standing for London Mayor for the Reform UK Party. And I, it just, I just couldn't believe it that they were asking suppliers to the council to make sure that they have LGBT inclusion values in place. If they didn't have them in place, they couldn't supply. So they weren't judging them on the quality of their product or the service. They were talking about fundamentally a private matter. You know, I, I, I'm fed up with this LGBT thing. I, I, I don't care who, had, who is LGBT. Good luck to them. They can do what they want. But this is a private matter. It shouldn't be impacting on council services. No, it shouldn't. And presumably it will also mean that whoever they deem to be um, worthy under their new sort of rules of engagement, those companies will likely make more money than other companies who might be not quite so trendy. It seems that way. There obviously, there's got to be a preference to that direction. But it's not fair. Someone's supplying a very good product, uh, and maybe for a lower price, as you, you know, you alluded to there, those sorts of things are going to be excluded. Well, what's that all about? Yeah. Well, this is ridiculous, isn't it, Rafe? I mean, uh, this is the latest incarnation, I suppose, of wokery gone mad. But the trouble is, the public sector and, and those people who have an awful lot of money to spend on various businesses around uh, the city and around the country, um, they do hold an awful lot of power. Yes, but they're using taxpayers' money to do this. Yeah. If they were a private body or a private organisation, they have every right to decide what values they want to yes. support. 
But, you know, I think it's quite clear that uh, given the demographics of Camden, mm. most taxpayers who are funding all of this don't agree with the policies yes. of Camden Council, even though, in fact, a majority of the, of the councillors of Camden Council are actually left-wing, woke, white British, yes. which does not reflect the demographics of the, of the electorate there. But this really is in sinister stuff. Mm. You know, this is your sort of an Orwellian uh, enforcement of ideology straight from, you know, the Chinese or mm. Soviet playbook. Right. I mean, you really... It's taking us one step forward to a sort of Chinese-style social credit system where people and companies... Yeah are penalised and denied access to things like loans or contracts or mortgages, even getting petrol from the petrol station if they don't comply yes. with the state-ordered diktats, in this and, case, and, by, the, by the council. And you're judged on, on what you believe in or what you actually think about um, or even what your sexuality is. I mean, Howard, I presume uh, it wouldn't surprise you to know that Camden will not be the only place doing this and it may well be seeping out into other areas of London. And you probably wouldn't also be surprised to find out, if you know the answer to this, that Sadiq Khan may well be behind it. Well, I, I, I've, I'm actually asking that question. I've actually written a letter to the, 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 you know, his office to ask a question, does he back this? Mm. Uh, it'd be interesting whether he responds to that. I, I didn't, uh, didn't do it under FOI, or Freedom of Information, but I've just sent a straightforward letter. I said, look, this can't be right because it's discriminating against private business and, and, and basically the market. It, what's going on with this? It, it, everything about supplying a product or a service should be based on the quality and the cost. Mm. It's as simple as that. It's nothing to do with whether they're employing... Uh, LGBT people. Right. And presumably this comes down to procurement of things like, you know, contractors to do um, painting in the area or contractors to do, you know, collecting children from school, taxi companies that take kids to and, fro to and from school who might be seen well, as a truant possibility. Mike, as I understand it, it's actually anyone that's supplying anything yeah. to the council. Oh. Uh, it's as simple as that. And as you say, it's a service or a product. It, it could be any of those things. Yeah. And a key thing to say here, actually, this isn't about LGBT, this is about T. Yeah. I mean, no one seriously thinks that in yes. 2024, companies are homophobic in Camden. Yeah. I mean, right. that's, that's for the birds. Right. What we are talking about are companies that are trying to, in one sense, protect women's spaces from men who just choose yes. to self-identify as male. Right. And for that, they're going to be penalised mm. by Camden Council. I mean, you know, councils have no, no duty or responsibility to be involved in values as Howard says, this is about services, providing them efficiently and at a mm. good value for money. And, and Howard, are these decisions being made by councillors or are they being made by people employed in the council, i.e. sort of effectively civil servants? Well, your guess is as good as mine, but I should imagine there are some of these woke people that are in place now, very left-wing people, left-wing spads, <clears throat> uh, you know, those sorts of people who are actually advising these councillors and probably saying, uh, bear in mind, most of these councillors are left-wing too, Mike. Yeah. I mean, I would I would suggest that actually it's a complete and utter group of people that are, are very much left of uh, uh, communism to me at the moment. Yes. Well, you would say so. And, Rafe, I mean, sometimes we think we may be getting on top of this woke um, madness, but every now and again you hear a story like this and you wonder, actually, if it will ever go away. Now, we've had some victories in 2023, but, yes, woke madness is carrying on as ever and is being enforced. You know, we're living in an age of a new um, morality and uh, puritanism. Yes, it is. Just like it the is Victorians, a you know? Isn't it? The Victorians were moralistic and yeah. puritanical, and we're having just the same things now. And of course, we even saw it. There's this constant lecturing. We had it mm. during the New Year's Eve fireworks. Yeah. I mean, I saw it from a oh rooftop and I thought it was great. Then I watched it on television, <laughs> but I could hear the messages and yeah. I thought, my God, what an appalling thing. Mm. And you're seeing it now in, in councils. You know, it's, it's virtue signaling of the worst kind. 
because, of course, we all really know that businesses aren't homophobic. They're actually spent... But they want, councils want to appear virtuous. Yes. So they're going after the easy, mm. the easy issues, whereas, of course, we know if you really want to stop homophobia in, 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 in London, there are far bigger issues that are at play here, not yes. businesses. Well, there are. And, Howard, I, I mean, I don't I, know whether... You, I wouldn't expect you to know the law around this, but if you were a supplier... Uh, who's somehow now um, banned from supplying whatever it was you used to supply to Camden Council because you're not thought to be trans-friendly enough, there might well be um, a lawsuit you could bring against them. Well, I was going to mention that, exactly that. If I was in their position, I hope there's some solicitors around the place will actually get a group a thing together to protect suppliers in this situation. Rest assured that when I'm elected as, uh, as Mayor of London, I can show you <laughs> that this is all going to stop. <laughs> Yes, well, you'd like to think so. But, I mean, you know, they, they also put the, the, the public purse in jeopardy, don't they, Rafe? Because, you know, what we know, for example, about the NHS and the strikes that are going on um, is that there's an awful lot of money wasted uh, in negligence lawsuits, in paying off of people because they've got something wrong. And the same could happen here, where half the council's money can actually be paying out... Uh, people who have been wrongfully discriminated against. Well, you can easily see exactly. big, law big lawsuits coming here. And, and, of course, we also have to consider how much are these diversity officers yeah. who are actually enforcing this and, and creating these stupid policies mm. being paid. But, you know, at the, at the end of the day, you have to actually ask, how are, they, how are they, these even going to be enforced? Well, how do you determine if a company is LGBT yes. plus friendly? I mean, are you just going to have to put, you know, trans people, send them in as employees, yes. send them into every shop well, to try and do. test what's going to happen? Well, I mean, as, well as, as I understand it, guys, what I understand, they have actually saying they're going to have the right to actually review their uh, employment uh, records, all the sorts of things like that, the human resource, the way they handle the human resources, they will have the right to examine those records. Surely that's wrong. Mm. Well, of course it's wrong. And, I mean, any kind of enforced, I would say, sort of political correctness is bound to be illegal as well as, um, you know, morally questionable. Isn't it? Well, as I, say, as I say, we need to get some lawyers on this. I'm going to look into this in more detail. I'm working with The Telegraph on a follow-up story on this. And so, to cut a long story short, watch this piece. Yeah. Well, but, but, but the thing is, of course, we know in society today, actually, if you're white, male, straight and fully abled, you're actually at the bottom of the pile yeah. when it comes to in, in, uh, hiring policies because, yes. of course, everyone's now so keen to show their work credentials mm. that they have to meet quotas. Mm. So I think, you know, this whole thing is just a complete nonsense. It really is. And I wonder whether um, the rest of the Labour Party will pick up on it as well. You know, the new friendly sort of, you know, supposedly normal <laughs> Keir Starmer trying to make out that he's a safe pair of hands. You know, this is not going to help him, is it? Well, I mean, what, the interesting thing is if I was a company I said, look, uh, I've had a good year of profit here. I'd like to donate some things completely free to the to the to help you because you know you know <coughs> most councils are in yeah. at the moment. And they have it free. Are they going to come back and say no? I'm not going to take it because you don't have this LGBT inclusion statement right. in your your in your uh, policy statement. And it brings you back to that Stonewall kind of register, doesn't it? Where some companies are now given a Stonewall kind of, you know, top 20 recommendation, which means that they can win all sorts of awards and they can win all kinds of public money. Well, one of the very few good things that came out of, the, of this recent Tory government is the fact that departments have been distancing them themselves from Stonewall. Mm -hmm. and, you know, the government actually used to pay money towards Stonewall. Uh, but, of course, if you thought Sadiq Khan was bad at the fireworks, if yeah. you think Camden Council is bad, <laughs> just wait till Labour gets in, right? right. Because all these things it, yes. are just inklings. <laughs>
It was all just a little inkling, a little window in what's going to happen. Anyone who thought that the last few years were of wokery were bad under the Tories yeah. ain't seen nothing yet. Well, I think that would be the major worry. Listen, Howard, well, let us know how you get on. Uh, we'd be very interested to see what the follow-up scenario is with, with yourself uh, and The Telegraph. Thank you very much indeed. Because talking to Rafe here about the Labour Party, um, Rachel Reeves, apparently, is considering plans to offer tax cuts to show that the party supports, in their words, opportunity and aspiration. That's a new one for them. Yes, fully parking their tanks yes. onto the... Uh, Tory grouse. You know, the Tories always used to have three three bastions, right? Mm. Law and order, immigration, yes. and tax cuts. Yes. Well, we know what's happened to the first of those two. <laughs> um, now we've got the highest tax level since the Second yeah. World War. So it's only natural that, the, you know, the Labour Party are doing a very good pre-election strategy here mm. on many levels. And this is simply to steal the fire from, uh, from the Tories because, of course, we know on, on the 6th of January we're going to have a national insurance tax cut. Yeah. That's why we're seeing the Labour Party now try to mobilise itself but both Labour and the Tories are treating the public like idiots mm. because these are fantasy tax cuts. There is no way that these tax cuts can actually be, come into place if we're going to keep uh, spending projects at the same level yeah. that they are. Well, I actually saw Claire Coutinho today putting out a tweet uh, suggesting that Labour's uh, tax promises are um, undoable. They are completely unpromisable because they haven't got the money. And I thought to myself, well, it's pretty rich coming from you, um, having taxes up the wazoo for the best part of the last 13 years, and you still haven't got enough money uh, to be able to give us any back. I mean, people need to realise the reason tax rates are so high is because of the furlough scheme, yeah. and then, of course, from, from the, the, the... And energy, the collapsing and the, economy. The, 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 well, the energy payments that we yeah. all got are from, from this trust, <laughs> imagine, of all people. That's why we have high tax rates at the way that they are. And there's simply not enough for, for the government just to say that they can do tax cuts or for Labour to say that. You know, and, and the, the Tories are to blame here as well because you know, Jeremy Hunt has announced these tax cuts based upon spending cuts yeah. he'll make, but he's never actually announced what no. the spending cuts are going to be. Meanwhile, you've got Labour saying that they're going to continue ahead with £28 billion pounds of green investment. Yes, and of course, they've also said that they're going to criticise others for use of consultants. They're going to promise tough new rules uh, in the wake of the Michelle Moan scenario. Um, but it turns out that Labour's actually quadrupled the use of their own consultants, despite what they say. Well, everything we know now about both parties now is that they're both equally bad when it comes to the issue of consultancies and excess spending. There's very little more than a fag paper between the two yeah. of them. And it's quite depressing, I think, for us as a whole, as a nation, to think that there's actually, in reality, very little there's now not to much choose choice. between between these two parties. There really isn't. I mean, I actually heard James Sunderland, the Tory MP today, talking on Talk TV, saying, you know, we haven't lost the election yet because when we move into the new um, sort of period, once the election start, starts to get underway, we'll cut taxes, uh, we'll bring inflation down even further, and then, of course, we'll stop the votes. And you kind of go... You're still going on about that. You're still living in cloud cuckoo land, you know? Yeah. And the, I think that this, this, this whole issue is quite ridiculous. I mean, the idea that the British public are going to suddenly change their view on the Tory party mm. because of tax cuts yeah. is for the birds. I mean, one of the tax cuts is going to be inheritance tax. Mm. Inheritance tax affects 4% of estates, right. right? It's going to make sure up things in Maidenhead. Yes. It's not going to win over anyone no. in the Red War. No, and it's certainly not going to make, win over anybody who hasn't got any money left because they've already given it all away to the Tory party because of all the tax. I mean, the good thing for the Tories is they can make any promise they want to because yeah. they're never going to have to deliver on it because yeah. they're going to sure defeat. The Labour Party needs to be careful because they're making quite severe promises here and they aren't going to be able to deliver that after the election. Yes. So that's actually going to come back to bite them. Yeah, and there's a couple of by-elections coming up as well, which could be interesting, couldn't they? Because, I'm again, listening to um, conversations over the weekend between Tory MPs and various different pundits, and you kind of can't quite believe that they're in such a bad way. 
Then they they won an 80 seat majority. That's now gone down to 56. They've now got possibility it goes down to 50 or something before the actual election. But it's hard to believe they've thrown it all away, isn't it? This is the biggest tragedy of the last 13 years, and yeah. particularly since 2019. You know, Tony Blair had 13 years in power. When Labour got into power in, in 1997, they thought, we may have two terms yeah. to make, to change Britain the way right. that we want to. And by golly, they knew what they were doing. They did. And they got stuck in. And credit to them, even mm. as appalling as they were, they did what they wanted to do. Yes. And we've had more than that now, you know, under the Tories. And we could have had, actually, mm. a Tory government in place until, what, 2029? Um, or even even to 2032, perhaps. We could have had, you know, 20 yeah. years of Tory government right. to reverse that long march through the institutions, mm. to get a control on, control on mass immigration. But things under Labour are now far worse under the Tory party. Yeah. And I think they deserve to get a complete thrashing in this election. And it may call, it may require the, the destruction of the Tory party to actually get a proper Conservative party back in this country. Yes, you may well be absolutely right. Rafe, thank you very much indeed. Rafe Haydon Mancou there uh, on the terrible, terrible state of politics in this country. This is your independent Republican, Mike Graham, though. The atomic explosion that is Luke the Nuke Littler, who has taken the darts world by storm at only 16. Coming next, plus your thoughts and your calls. Stay in your seats. See you in a moment. Lots of you have been getting in touch, and you can have your say, of course, on all the socials at Talk TV and on the phones, 0344-499-1000. And let's go to Oliver in Middlesex, who wants to talk about lawless Britain. Hello, Oliver. Good evening, Mike, and thank you for taking my call. Not at all. Uh, I understand you've got year. a story for us. I do. Um, in I'm covering now, uh, but in the end of November yeah. last year, uh, I was... I won't go into the full ins and outs, but I was drawn into the darkness of the entrance to a park right by where I live. Right. Um, I have a mountain bike that I previously, my previous one had been snatched from me in Felton High Street. Right. Uh, so when I bought the new one, I had it five months. I insured it £2.88 a month. Right. I'm so glad I did because um, I heard noises that sounded like Bill needed help. So I went into the entrance of the park. Someone came up to me and four or five times lumped me around the left-hand side of the hedge with a metal or very heavy wooden bar, oh, um, breaking nine bones under my eye, left eye. I right. lost my sight, sight in my left eye for about a week and a bit. And it's about 90% back now. Right. Uh, I've got fractures, I've broken those fractures in in my eye sockets, a broken eardrum, so I'm not stable at the moment. And the amount of violence they used, right. they didn't even they had they had a sword, not not a samurai sword, but a vicious long glinting in the darkness. Uh, Steel-type right. sword, uh, all in that banaclavas. You could tell they were late teens, early twenties from the sort of um, actions and mm. physical. Do you know how many of them there were? In initially, there was one that approached me, said, "Get off the bike." Right. I didn't understand why they asked me to do that, um, and. Then the next thing I knew, he shouted at me, get off the, I won't swear, right. bike. Uh, and before I could even respond, I got 
four to five smacks around the left-hand side of the head, which cause all the fractures. Um, then next thing I remember, I was on my on my side on the floor, yeah. tangled up in the bike, at which point a vicious lock knife was stuck in the back of my hand. But luckily the Kevlar in the gloves that I was wearing stopped it. Otherwise, that would have gone through my hand. Good. Um, and I presume then, they just took the bike and ran off, did they? Well, they couldn't untangle the bike from me, uh, so I got tasered in the other hand, in the wrist, oh, which has left burn marks. Um, I then had the bike pulled away from me because my body went into sort of spasms. Um, and then... Uh, the bike was taken, and uh, then I was searched, and one, there's about, I think there's about four in total, maybe five with the one that took the bike away. Right. Um, and it, it's, it's difficult to remember in, in detail, uh, although it wasn't a lot of detail due to the darkness, yeah. even at that time. A day at about I think about seven o'clock in the evening at this time of year, uh, and um, they needn't have used that level of violence. No. All they to do show me a knife, I would have got off that bike of straight away. Um, and, and did you did you report it? Did you get any joy from the police or anything? I the police have actually been brilliant with me, absolutely yeah. brilliant, and so have the NHS. I um, there were junior doctors there. <laughs> be funny. Funny enough, um, and they were working, not uh, not on strike, and right. they actually said they don't support the, the ones who are on strike. Yes, uh, and they believe it's political as well. <sighs> but the going back to the the violence used, it it is. I've I've I now will not help anyone or trust anyone anymore or any noises I hear to go and help a girl that sounds like she's in trouble in the park Um, when I would help anybody before but now I will only help people if they are in front of me Mm. and they are literally dying of course and did you bother to get another bike or is that it for you then Um, I had one bike snatched from me which was my granddad's inheritance money that paid Mm. for it uh, in Feltham previously because I was pushing along the pavement and someone ran up behind me. Um, and then I bought the new one, got 30 days free insurance with it. So I inquired about a quote and it was only £2.88 a month to insure it there. Right. So sensibly, I actually took it out. So £100 excess is quite a lot on a 500 and Ninety-nine pound bike. It yeah. is uh, a terrible but, story, though. Oliver. I'm, I'm, I hope and you, I hope you've, you've reasonably well recovered since November. I, I'm doing very well, considering how worried I was about yeah. losing eyesight. That was my main, main concern. Of course, of course. Um, it's a shocking story, the thing Oliver. What me is, I oh. for about a week and a half to two weeks prior to that happening, I noticed the same car. Well, I have to put medication up regularly, and I always go at the same time. Hmm. And I'd noticed the same car with four lads in it, 
Um, and it just seems a bit odd at the time. Yeah. But because I'm, I had the bike insured and I've got a approved lock and everything like that, I didn't think anything would happen. Um, yeah. I'm careful. So whether they're watching or not, the police yeah, think they Yeah, it's never easy were. to tell. It's a terrible story, Oliver. I'm just pleased that you're you're at least able to talk about it and you're able to to get on with the rest of your life. But I'm sure lots of people will sympathise with you, and lots of people, unfortunately, uh, fall victim to this kind of violence all the time. We'll talk a bit about more about that uh, with the panel coming up, who are coming back in very shortly. We'll have a look at some of the papers uh, and some of the stories in those papers in the morning as well. But right now, all eyes have been on young Luke Littler as he storms to the finals of the PDC World Darts Championship. But the 16-year-old has ended up losing to Luke Humphreys four sets to seven. Let's have a look at that moment. The ascension is complete. Luke Humphreys is the greatest darting force on the planet right now. The world and now you might wonder how a world-class athlete prepares for a tournament like this. Well, according to Luke, it's kebabs and pizzas. And our correspondent, Nick Ellaby, went to his hometown of Warrington. And I've got one here. Look, they've actually brought me um, a kebab. I'm not sure if it's still warm. Um, let's go and have a look at Nick Ellaby in his hometown of Warrington. Meanwhile, I'll have some of this. Evening, Mike. I hold in my hands here, potentially, the key to sporting greatness. As I'm sure you're aware, if you want to perform as an athlete, you need the right nutrition. Usain Bolt always said, didn't he, that chicken nuggets were the secret to his Olympic sprinting goals. And Luke Littler, the 16-year-old teenage sensation, Luke the Nuke, as we know him now, is no different, but his food of choice is kebabs. It's what he celebrates his victories with and is what he's been doing all tournament. You know, this is officially outside the hotspot in Warrington, Luke Littler's favourite kebab joint. And this is the fuel that's been keeping him going. And uh, I'm sure it'll be keeping him going for many more years to come. And it's a, it's a simple affair, really. It's a wrap. It's a Donner wrap. And what you have in here is just some salad. And instead of the, uh, instead of the, the hot sauce, some, some mayonnaise. Get a look at that. Every time Luke wins, he celebrates with one of these. And whatever happens from here on in, in Luke's career, I'm sure there'll be a lot more kebabs going down the hatch. Here we go. So this is, this is the secret. Mmm. Do you know what? Oh, I feel ready to throw a 180, Mike. <laughs> Nick Ellaby, well, you've only better kebab than the one I've got, because the one they've given me is absolutely horrendous. <laughs> and I've been sharing it with the panel, who are yeah. back with me, journalist Eve Torfik, broadcaster and uh, barrister Andrew Eborn, and journalist and author Laura Dodsworth. Um, and that is possibly it, one it of the is worst... Sort of, I, I can tell you, Mike, I would be littler if I didn't yeah. eat one of these. You would. <laughs> I mean, obviously, <laughs> poor old Luke um, oh. isn't going to be celebrated with the no. club tonight, because no, his, night, his, his, his sort of, you know, fairytale journey has come to a sticky end. <laughs> It is a shame, isn't it? But I love the imagery, though. Yeah. His, when he was 18 months old... Well, so what old, are the chances of yeah. two Lukes being in the final? Well, and it's interesting, because uh, Luke, uh, and the, the other one who, who won, right. he, apparently it's Leeds United Kings of Europe. That's why he was named Luke. Oh, is that right? And, and it's against... So it's Leeds United against Man How do you United. know so much about this I, I know about this stuff. I've got kebabs and everything. Right. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. I love the video of him when he was 18 months old yeah. with that little magnetic dartboard he yes. got from a pound shop in Warrington. Yeah. 
and he was in his nappies. Did you see that? And he was doing his very first. This jump. whole story is kind of slightly passed me by, actually, because I, I'm not a big fan of darts. I know loads of people who love going uh, to watch it. Loads yeah. of people who tell you it's the greatest night out ever. People dressing up in, in fancy dress. Yes. And, you know the shouting and the drinking, and, and it's all marvelous. I just it leaves me cold. I, have to I, say. I think they I'm, had the I'm biggest with audience. With you have that one there, yeah. definitely. But he, he's brought a whole new audience, and that's what I predicted he was going to be sports personality of the year and, until tonight when yes. he didn't quite get it. Well, I mean, Otherwise, he, might he would be have been. Because, he still I mean, might be. They do still like giving be. it to people who haven't won anything. Yeah, that, that's good. You know. so I reckon still put your money on him. I think it's going to be a good one. Well, Laura, are you a darts fan? No, no, Mike. <laughs> you haven't yet found the sport I'm able to comment on at all. <coughs> I wondered if this might be enough of a sort of sociological phenomenon for you to get your teeth No, into. I mean, the, unfortunately, you say darts, and I think just stop oil disrupting it, and that's because of those those doctors' orange hats yes. earlier. That's the way my mind you works. Can't get away so from I've the got I've got hats, images of orange. Yeah. What was it? Orange powder going everywhere. Yeah, that was yes. a darts, wasn't it? I think there was one. Well, it was snooker, wasn't it? He did that. They did. Oh. Snooker. They went that, absolutely on the, on the green base. Yes. It actually looked quite pretty. It did. But, it, but <laughs> artistically, it was glorious. But what a that's a, that's a, a how interchangeable. Thing is for Absolutely. Me. But I know what's interesting about sport is that nobody generally remembers who came second. So I wonder right. a year from now people will go, Luke who? There you go. Oh, I don't know. I think he's going to be a real superstar. I mean, he is he is an incredible sort of figure. A he's 16 year only old. 16. He looks a lot older. I he couldn't looks... believe he was 16. Yeah. I, I just kept looking at him and I was right. like, I cannot believe. A very tough paper 16. round is what they said. Yes, yeah. absolutely right. <laughs> and I guess if you've been, I mean, eating kebabs for... for oh, absolutely. Years, <laughs> yeah. That'll build you up a little bit. Um, but, I mean, people say he reminds them of Wayne Rooney. When Wayne yes, was like no, that's 15, a good point. 16 years old, yeah. and he looked an awful lot older than he was. Yeah. And he's in the news uh, this week because of yes. Gary Lineker. Gary Lineker ordering the BBC to take down a tweet that he didn't like about him. That's amazing, isn't it? It is extraordinary. Especially from Gary Lineker. Yeah, well, yeah. exactly. But, I mean, he now basically... I'm, my, my contention is that he's trying to get fired. Oh, what? So with every Absolutely. passing week, he comes up with yet another ruse to humiliate I, them. I, and they I, let him off again. I'm, I'm totally with you, Mike. I mean, basically, it's, it's P.T. Barnum who said that if you want to draw a crowd, mm. start a fight. Yes. And boy, does he know how to start oh, a fight. Oh, he does. He absolutely loves it. I mean, the idea that you can't now offend Gary Lineker if you work for the BBC, <laughs> otherwise you're in danger of, you know, losing your own job. It's extraordinary. It is quite extraordinary. Yeah, it is. Yeah, absolutely right. What should we talk about? Let's talk about um, Nadim Zahawi playing ah. himself in that post office. Did you see scandal. it? I mean, extraordinary. I mean, it is a horrendous scandal yeah. about the post office. It is an awful side. scandal, yeah. Absolutely. Well, Jeremy Carl interviewed quite a few of the people yeah. who actually had suffered at the hands of this ridiculous prosecution. The yes. Yeah, issue, absolutely it? ludicrous, yeah. Well, there were four suicides, yeah. just to put this in perspective. Right. There were people who were sent to prison, yeah. there were people who lost their livelihoods, mm. who had to, basically, the system was, Horizon Software had a flaw in it. And what the post, sub-post office masters had to do is make up any deficit there was in the accounting. Yes. And they said, oh, no, this, this computer system is fine, it hasn't got any problem. nobody else has complained. Right. And what happens is it turned out that loads of people, about 700, I think, in total, had the same sort of issue. And it's taken years and years and yeah. years to come to... Um, Adam Crozier yes. was CEO right. of Royal Mail at the time. He then became CEO of ITV. Yes. Uh, and didn't I see Ed Davey moaning about it the other day as yeah. well, saying that, you know... He wished that more could have been done. But he was the post office well, minister. Yes, yeah. exactly. He was doing nothing. <laughs> yeah. So have a look at Nadim Zahawi playing himself. Could be the best role he's ever had. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds to me like a shambles. We are hearing from Bob that your organisation has been obstructive to his independent work. Is that right or wrong? 
We have provided for every single case detailed, thorough, independent investigation. Let me stop you there. We've just heard from Bob, who is independent, that you have not. You are the head of the organisation. Will you provide the information? Yes or no? This is the first time that I have been asked for this information. Yes or no? I am not aware... Will you provide it? Yes or no? I wonder if that was what he was really like, because when I saw him at the COVID inquiry, he didn't sound anything like that. No. Yeah, I think, I think he's adding integrity. Yeah. To, but oh, then again... He's I only like, acting. To be honest, I like the authenticity. <laughs> and the IT, ITV have said, you know, journalists and um, MPs I mean, say themselves... They the do time, say What's that the happens, deal? yeah. The focus should be the scandal. And, but I you know. quite agree. I can't think of a time when a minister or MP has played themselves. So they say it's typical, but I can't think of it. Maybe I don't watch enough TV. I think the problem is that it's um, it's become a detraction. So instead of us talking about this um, dramatisation mm, of an incredible exactly. scandal, we're talking about Dean Zahari playing himself. Right. It, you know, it's drawn the curtain back a little yes, bit at yeah. the theatre and it's spoilt a bit of the magic. I don't think it works well, at all. The, the spotlight's now himself. on it and you can understand yeah. why he wanted to do it. He wants yeah. to show that he was there and being forceful. It's the, probably the widest miscarriage of justice yes. we've yes. had for a long time. But so I don't remember him and a role that he took in the yeah. actual scandal at all. So, I, don't no, remember, I don't remember him talking to anybody like that. The best it's way of forming history is to write it. So you, yes. you, yeah. you play yourself and show, look, how, see how tough I yeah. was. Yeah, and you work the big criticism I have is a brilliant, brilliant drama. If people haven't seen it, they should absolutely watch it, four-part of the drama, is they blur the lines, though, between what's real right. yes. and what's fictitious. And they right. say, look, it's rather like The Crown. Well, I was going to say, so The Crown is kind of the... The um, immediate kind of thing that springs to mind, there. and that's yeah. the problem because you don't know what's real and what's not. A and, lot and of people watch that, that and think, you know, this is factual. Yeah. They, yeah. They, they don't think they're watching a fiction. This, this is factual. This is how I'm going to learn about the royal family. Yeah. And that's you know, and that's the danger here well, with well, him trying to write his own his own narrative. Well, that's the problem. I, I interviewed Charles Spencer fairly recently about the, the, this sort of sign. It was exactly the, the complaint he said: Look, the bits they made up. People assume that it's history. Yes. And that it's working on that sort of basis. So I think it's such a powerful drama. Mm. It's such a scandalous story. To say a bit of it's fictionalised is, I think, detracts a bit. I think it's difficult, isn't it, when they start making these dramas yeah. and making out that they are based on sort of documentary evidence, a bit like the Savile um, story with, yes. um, with Steve Coogan, which a lot of people watched and, and found to be hideous to watch, but also... It was done kind of, very well. It was very well done, but they all sort of, you know... The people that watched it assumed that's what it was like. Yeah. And it probably yeah. wasn't. And it's difficult. There's a particular responsibility when there are families and people connected to victims. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's obviously particularly relevant when it comes to Savile, but also with the post office inquiry, yes. because people's lives were destroyed mm. going to prison and even suicide. So it's, it's, a very, it's a very difficult line to tread when you fictionalise very recent events. Yes, it really is. Speaking of recent events, should we talk about Captain Sir Tom Moore and his oh. um, hapless family? Um, <laughs> Extraordinary, I mean, isn't it? I mean, talk about taking down, you know, sort of an icon of, of recent and, and times. how I mean, sad is that? Yeah. And all these things, these revelations which are coming out about, yeah. I'm going to put up a spar and I'm going right. to do this. Yeah. And, well, they oh, well, said the, it would help the, the local community, didn't I, they? But then admitted that they'd taken, what was it, £800,000 well, from his book sales? You have to put it in right. perspective. And I saw Piers's uh, brilliant yeah. interview with yeah. the family, right. where he basically said, he put it to them, people, when they were paying, Paying money for these books, right. they assumed it was going to the charity, not for you to pocket. Right. 
Uh, they made the point, well, actually, our, my father was, was the, uh, the, the daughter talking about it. He wanted us to benefit from mm. that. But then if you're blurring the lines a bit, aren't you? Because if it's in the name of the charity, it's not right. in the name of the charity. That's the real and issue. And did they not also say that, you know, he said that he didn't want the money from the books to go to the charity? The charity, yes. Yeah. And then this... he, actually, he actually wrote in the he book did. that he wanted the money to go to the well, charity. In, well, yes, in I mean, his it... own foreword. Yeah. And it was put out in several public statements. And, of course, the charity itself promoted the books, yeah. I think, on, at least on Twitter. Right. And a charity shouldn't do that. All of its public activity should be for the benefit of the charity, yes. not the family no. well, of the man behind said, the charity. The family should have said, charity begins at home, is yes. what they should they have said. They should have said that. <laughs> but, of course, <laughs> yeah, the news today, which you will not be surprised to hear, yes. uh, is that they've been told to demolish oh, this exactly. far, so, But, but what happened, now, it didn't appeal in time, I think. Right. That's right. Well, yeah. I think they would have really been barking up the wrong tree if they tried to appeal, it's, it's, because nobody believed them, did they, when well, they no, said... Well, no, and oh, peers yeah, asked them, you know, are you treating yourselves with this one? Exactly. And it, and it was the drip feed of bad stories. So I think she was being paid to turn up for some charity yeah. events and all that sort of stuff. Right. It just didn't sound... The optics were not good. They were not good. And it's still not over the story, is it? Right. Because presumably the Charities Commission is still all over it. I think people have stopped giving money to them. Yeah. There is no more kind of foundation. It's a shame, because he was seen as such a national treasure. They've really tarnished well, his, you know, the, his image, haven't but they? But you have to beware of these um, heroes that come out of nowhere. Now, he himself, as an individual was an incredible figure. He was. I don't want to tarnish his his hero <clears> status, <throat> but um, media, government, like to create heroes at certain times. It's yes, kind he of propagandistic. They sort of helped you know, people were out clapping, people were out clapping like seals for the NHS every yeah. Thursday, OK? Yeah. Don't forget, the second person who had a COVID vaccine was mysteriously called William Shakespeare. How Wasn't could that this, wonderful? How could this incredible coincidence occur? I mean, <laughs> I wonder... Two corona. Yeah, there, you go. there you go. Very good. Yeah. I thank you. I'm here all And then you have a chap called uh, Captain Moore doing Lapse yes. of his Garden, and it's like, wow, let's elevate him into being a hero. These these things never end well. Look, like I said, we were clapping for the NHS just a few years ago, and now we're moaning about doctors wearing orange hats, orange bleating hats, for yeah. more money. Well, I... So you have, to, you have to be careful about ele elevating people artificially to this sort of hero yeah. status. That family, um, unfortunately, were clearly all about self-interest. Because but they see, might I, have got to one thing, but it's though. one after the other. Mm. Oh, oh, the, um, the, the, the pool was built with our own money. We just yeah. called it the Captain Tom Foundation building. Just yes, but they knew the effect like, that it would have. Thing. They right. knew the effect yeah. of using his name and what that would happen. But, but to be fair to him and his legacy, he raised 39 million. Right. Which I, and where I, did I, that I, go, though? Yeah, exactly. Well, well, that, that's, that that's, that's, that's the other question. You that look at that. Like, but he raised 39 million walking up and down at the time when you couldn't yeah. do anything else. Right. And he got he was, what, the oldest person ever to have a number one, if you might yes. remember. He was uh, knighted by the yeah, Queen. Amazing. Amazing. Know. Knighted by the but Queen. People are the ridiculously stuff. stupid about giving money to causes, though. They will give money to any cause. I see this week they were paying for this Albanian guy from the Bibby Stockholm to have his body repatriated to Albania because apparently his family couldn't afford. And you're kind of going, sorry? What, you're going to give money now to somebody who's come here illegally to be repatriated back to his home these, so that they can have a funeral for him? You know, that happens to people all the time. These things they die on holiday. life on their own, don't right. they? It becomes like a media yeah. frenzy and they take... Well, better give like, them some money. It's like but, certain missing persons <clears> get more attention than others. Yeah. And, you know, it cap captures the heart of the nation, as yeah. it were. But and, it's you absolutely know. right to call it out. Those yeah. examples... And so don't let it slip by, which is what you do so brilliantly. Yeah. But also make sure that that doesn't pollute 
some of the good stuff as well. And I think no. we need to put it in equal measures. I think that's fair enough. I want to ask you about Vladimir Putin. Um, because apparently... <laughs> Which uh, one? <laughs> there are three body doubles that he's yeah. now got. I'm surprised he doesn't have more. But let's have a look uh, at the three body doubles. Whether you can tell the difference between one Vladimir Putin and another. When I saw this story, I was uh, minded of... I don't know if you remember a picture of Saddam Hussein. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yes, swimming, I remember. Yeah. Swimming in, in the River Tigris or something. Here he is. Um, and there was about 50 other... Saddam Hussein looked yes. like swimming around him. Yes. And you'd swall, never have known a which one of Saddam's, they called so it. So apparently, if you can tell the difference between these three, uh, they're not doing a very good job. Yes, um, you can. One of them's got a funny chin, and you'll see they're very different in their chin. Uh, one of them is also AI-generated, which they reckon was uh, yes. on that sort of basis, which right. is going to be the next thing. Well, it might become as no surprise to you, I think all of the things we're now seeing are actually Vladimir Putin, and none of them. Uh, are in fact uh, generated by anything other than Vladimir Putin. Yes. Well, yeah, I mean, one version of him looks like he'd had bad plastic surgery. Yes, is that's this, what is I thought. Well, he has. <laughs> he's, had, he's had a lot of plastic yeah, surgery. But one of he them, has. one of them's had more plastic surgery than the other Vladimir ah, Putin. Yeah. The thing, the thing is, you never know what to believe. The plastic because, Putin, is that what you're saying? Because you despots employing body doubles yes. isn't anything new. It's not new. No, but then, not. on the other hand, accusing a regime no. of employing a body double is also a form of propaganda because we're, we're supposed to be thinking, is he dead, is yeah. he ill? It's to weaken, weaken sure. the image of yeah. the Russian regime. So right. you, you just don't really know what to believe. But, it raises but a if really he is real, he's had some bad plastic surgery. Well, I think that's probably true as well. But it raises a really interesting point. In this election year, this is the first time that AIs come to the forefront. Yes. We're going to get lots of fake news, lots there will of be. dodgy fake videos, videos fake, yeah. fake recordings. Right. We've already got lots right. last year. Uh, Slovakia, I think it was, was probably the first election last year, which was determined by AI. Yes. You might remember within 48 hours, they, the parties were neck and neck, but a, a, an audio recording suddenly emerged yeah. with one of the parties where they were saying how they were going to fix the election, they were going to buy votes and everything else, yeah. and the election went against them uh, as a result. Well, so I'll tell you what, we've, here. We've, we've been busy uh, this afternoon working on some more lookalikes. See if you can <laughs> tell which ones are generated by AI. Have a look. Oh, brilliant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's not even Brilliant. a generated image, for heaven's sake. But there we are. Uh, this is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. In three short minutes, we'll be looking at the trans model hoping to represent women at the United Nations. And we'll attack the top stories from the papers, all coming up. Stay exactly where you are. Welcome back. You're watching The Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Now, it's time for this. The World of Work. Now, you would think that most things in life are pretty straightforward, wouldn't you? I mean, if you were thinking of choosing an individual to be a champion of a particular cause, you might expect that the individual chosen would be close to the best person for the job, given what they would need to know. Imagine now that you want to appoint the first United Nations Women UK Champion. Given that the organisation has been set up to support the work of UN women, to improve the lives of women and girls, and to champion the empowerment of women and equality globally within civil society, government, and the corporate sector, you might think the best person for the job would be, wait for it, a woman? Don't be so stupid. Of course, that's not who they want. Instead, they want to make a statement. Instead, they want to signal their virtue. Instead, they want to be woke. So, guess what they did? Yes, indeed, they gave the position to a trans model. And not just any trans model, they gave it to Monroe Bergdorf, already a controversial figure in the world of the trans wars. Now at least 17 different campaigning groups have signed a letter to the UN overlords expressing concern about its choice of choosing a transgender woman to represent women. And who can blame them? But let's face it, there is nothing 
compared to what they've done before. After all, it took UN women 57 days to get around to condemning the sexual violence against women carried out by Hamas on October the 7th. 57 days, because that is the UN World of Work. The World of Work. Well, welcome back. You're watching The Independent Republican, Mike Graham on Talk TV. Let's look at some of the other stories from tomorrow's papers, but Laura Dodsworth here. I know you want to talk about that trans story first before we get anywhere else. I do, because I think it's outrageous. That was a fantastic World of Woke intro on it. <coughs> I mean, you'd think that the very basic minimum qualification to be a champion for women, for UN women, yeah. would be to be a woman. To be a woman. And if you're going to pick a champion and it's a man, you know, we're not even talking about... Um, a man on his on his white steed, saving damsels in distress, not even that kind of champion. No. This is a man who says he's a woman. And I'm becoming increasingly frustrated with this pretense that we all go along with, that yeah. somebody like Monroe Burdorf is a woman. He's not. Right. He's a man who's dressing up as a woman and he's had plastic surgery to look at, like a woman. And actually, every time we call somebody like Monroe Bergdorf a woman, what we're doing is blurring the lines and minimising the importance of protecting sex-based rights and protections for women. Now, UN women deal with very important issues around sex, yeah. such as FGM or war crimes. Yes. They don't really seem to have their eye on the ball when it comes to war crimes. But As you they said, it took them 57 it, days. Is, is kind of just a, a sort of glamour puss, if but, you like. It's a, it's a kind of a trend. It's something which is not important. Doesn't sound important. Doesn't feel important, well, is it? It's much like Kim Kardashian yeah. being a man of the year. Right. It's, 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 it's a gimmick, really. Bollocks, and isn't it? Let's I think it, it feeds into this erasure well, of women. Really. <laughs> but, but, well, actually, sorry. it is bollocks. <laughs> I think Monroe yeah. Bergdorf probably still has bollocks, to be honest. Yeah, there you go. But the point is, is that for a lot of these characters, like uh, Monroe Bergdorf and that other one, Dylan Mulvaney, yeah. it's about making money as well, isn't it? Because for them, it's a career move. Well, I, yeah, I, think it's, I think it's even worse than that. I mean, honestly, I think you and I <coughs> are literally trolling the 33 million women yeah. in the country. There are plenty of women to choose from, and they didn't manage to pick a woman. They picked somebody who um, has adopted quite a hypersexualized persona as a woman, and it's a lot more complicated than that. Do you, if you remember, Monroe Burdoff was um, dropped by L'Oreal yes. for saying that all white people are racist. Yes violent racist, was dropped as um, an ambassador, I think it was, for Childline, yeah. because he invited young people to DM him if they were having confusion about their gender, right. which is a complete safeguarding no-no. One big blunder after another, yeah. and they thought this person, who's a male, would actually be the right person to be an ambassador for yes. UN what Women the selection UK. Process? Do we know how they came up with this decision? We don't. I, I mean, you can, you can know that it's factor. all about just, what would, you know, what what would, what would cause maximum, yeah. What would Virtue cause maximum offence for women yeah. in this country? Everybody's talking about it now, and yeah. it's just been a woman, uh, a naturally born Well, woman. everybody's complaining about it now, that's, that's the, the thing. But we've got to move on, and I've been asked to point out that we may or may not know uh, whether bollocks are, in fact, um, Th thank you. Yes, belonging well, to, to clarify. Or not. So we don't know. <laughs> We're um, really Dart Breaker, though, is my favourite headline oh, of the night. Um, Dart says Luke narrowly misses out on his £500,000 title, but he does himself proud Dark in the epic breaker. final, and he does get 200000 quid, so all is not lost. It's not bad yeah. at all for not a 16-year-old. Lads, I'd buy you a lot of kebabs. Uh, we'll buy you a lot of kebabs. <laughs> we'll talk some more about that in a minute. Um, front page of the Daily Mail, New Year mortgage price war boost for Tory hopes. So the Tories are hoping that if prices 
of mortgages come down and if tax goes down, they could yet win the election. Oh, there's all sorts of gifts to can come they, as the election. Well, election? I don't know about winning, yeah. but it's not going to be as bad as they think, but there's going to be lots of gifts coming out in the next few months. Yes. I don't think it's going to be enough, but we should enjoy um, a slightly more pleasant year, at least before Labour get in. Yes, yeah, well, it's, I, well, then we'll have I some real fun. I agree with you there. Um, talking of, uh, <laughs> of what might happen, Trump 2.0 threat to the UK warned Britain's top diplomats. This is on front of the Eye newspaper. Lord Macdonald, who was head of the diplomatic service for five years, says the impact is potentially huge. I always worry when I see that word, potentially. Yes. Well, yeah. you mean it might not be then? Well, so, it's, it's the easy way. Subject to my being wrong, yeah. this is my opinion. Absolutely, yeah. you work on that basis. No, Trump is undoubtedly uh, going to be elected. Potentially. Um, so I, I think I, I predicted he was going to get the first time round uh, when everybody wrote him off. And don't forget, you remember that election when everybody went to bed assuming that Hillary yeah. had won? Yes. And they woke up to be shocked. Right. Trump is there, and the more that people throw stuff at him as he predicts. I'm amazed at how much stuff they throw at him. Yeah. I mean, why? And, why and he, he Teflon, Teflon Trump. Yeah. The more you throw at him, the more you're going to bolster support. Yeah, exactly right. Here's one plant based fast food is no healthier than meat, say scientists. Front page of the Times. Well, yeah, Burgers, too. wraps and pizzas that appear on fast food menus are not actually healthier. Not only is it not healthier, it can't possibly be anywhere near as healthy as meat. Come no. on. It's processed. It's not the natural diet. We're not supposed to be scrabbling around for ultra-processed soybeans no. to be mixed with vegetables. No. The best mac and cheese I ever had was vegan. Was it? I go, yeah. I go, much better than that. Mac and cheese. Better than that. Mac and cheese without cheese. Yeah, I had the best mac and cheese. Nobody. I can. I'll, I'll take you there, Mike. It was glorious. It's not, I agree Wouldn't know with the you. difference. I think was... people should eat, no. be able to eat what they want, and I don't have any issues well, with vegan. Um, I'm not having that. Nate, thanks all for me tonight. But before mm. I go, Luke Littler. I'm not convinced this is going to improve my performance, but how? You got this far eating rubbish. Imagine how far you could have got if you'd actually eaten broccoli, right? Um, you've been watching The Independent Republic, Mike Graham. Thank you to my guests. I'll see you all tomorrow at 9pm, only on Talk TV. Have a good night. <laughs>